Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game seven is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Happy Monday to you. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin Show. Ballpark Frank with you. Nunchuck on the side of the glass. And yes, a very, very busy weekend. Basketball-wise, whether it's Vegas or nationally, a lot of hoops to talk about today. And we look forward to game number six coming your way tomorrow night with the NBA Finals as the Milwaukee Bucks have a chance to close it out. We'll talk to the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. He will join us a little bit later this hour, so hang tight for that. Talking about if the Phoenix Suns are cooked or not. So, been a very interesting series, very good series. We'll dive into that with him. Plus, Team USA off to Tokyo. That's right. Our men's team, our women's team, and our three-on-three women's team off to Tokyo, Japan. They left today as uh, we get ready for the Olympic Games. So that will be incredibly interesting, especially with uh, everything that's going on in Tokyo with the COVID situation, no fans allowed in any of the venues. It is going to look like a totally different Olympic Games, and we will dive into that. And again, that starts later on this week. So for the next uh, three weeks... We're going to be talking a lot of Olympics. Bernie Fratto is going to join us as well. Uh, Bernie, fellow uh, cohort broadcaster, just released a just I, well, I guess you say released because via Amazon and everything wrote a new book, um, "View from the Cheap Seats." Some uh, great sports stories. So love talking with Bernie uh, again, fellow broadcaster, longtime broadcaster back in Detroit here in Vegas with. Uh, Fox Sports Radio right now uh, does a very good job on his weekend show there on Saturday nights at 11 p.m. So uh, we'll visit with Bernie Fratto a little bit later on today as well to catch up with him and talk about the book and exchange some great uh, sports stories as well. All right, so busy weekend, a lot to do, a lot going on. And uh, we we start with the, with the NBA. And uh, we had plenty of basketball, didn't we? I mean, and now we get a little bit of a break here in Vegas. I mean, we had... The, we had the WNBA All-Star Game a week ago on Wednesday. That led us right into Team USA, the men, Team USA with the women, and Ice Cube and the Big Three over the weekend, too. So all of that pretty much gone now, and uh, Las Vegas takes a, a little bit of a break from basketball. Yeah, well, it, it does here uh, as far as watching it live and the venues around town, but certainly, like you mentioned, with the Olympics there, you hope that there's no more COVID cases. We've already seen that uh, strike different things in the Olympics with basketball, and uh, I know the, one of the women's gymnastics alternates has COVID, so she's off the team, but it won't affect Simone Biles and the other other ladies on the team. So, yeah, um, a lot of basketball. Uh, I was watching that game while I was watching UFC and uh, the fight card from PBC as well, which, by the way, the main event, absolutely horrific horrific decision uh to get a draw out of that absolutely stupid but uh and then i saw the return of misha tate back to the cage and misha looks pretty good so yeah i was had kind of had my head on as much of a swivel as i can have it these days but uh 
trying to watch three TVs at the same time. <laughs> that UFC thing, though, it just it cracks me up. I mean, you're watching that, and I couldn't hang with it just because of the fact that there are no fans. I mean, you're not you're watching basically an empty arena. I'm thinking it took me back to COVID, which gave me a negative sense. And it was great to see Misha Tate. It wasn't a great card, but when we go from watching Conor McGregor and uh, Dustin Poirier and all that electricity, all that excitement, and then you come back with a dud like that, and I know you know the matches were okay. I, you know, I know you're, you're probably going to say, but to, to put it in that environment, I mean that. You, you you fail, Dana White. You fail if you feel the need that you have to have cards every week to keep your audience, which you don't. But when you put cards like that behind one of the most anticipated cards in recent history, you, you miss the mark. Well, you probably do miss the mark, but it was scheduled beforehand. And one yeah. of Dana's things, and this is what he said through the entire pandemic, was... Even though it's going to cost us a lot of money, we're going to continue putting on a fight so our fighters can get paydays in that. Mm-hmm. So you got to respect them for that. Yeah, at the Apex, it's not the greatest place, and it is strange without fans. Maybe it's a precursor. Maybe it'll get us ready for the Olympics where there's going to be no fans anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's funny that I keep on seeing these commercials for the opening ceremonies of the Olympics coming up. What the hell is that going to look like? Right. How are you going to have an opening ceremonies with nobody in the stands? What are they going to do? They better not have 100,000 cardboard cutouts there or something like that. But I honestly don't know what they're going to do for that. So I'm curious about that. But, but yeah, I mean, as far as being at the Apex, I'm, it's not where they wanted to be. But it was another weekend. They wanted to get another payday for the fighters. Uh, like I say, I thought Misha looked very good. I thought in the main event, uh, the, the guy that won is an up-and-coming fighter. But I thought he played it too safe. I thought he should have finished it a long time before that. But you know what? He got the victory and he got the submission. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not crazy about it at the Apex. But I guess I look at it differently than a lot of people. I really don't care if fans are there or not when I'm watching. You're looking at the product. Yeah, yeah, I I just look at the product. But I will say this. The product is generally better when fans are there. For instance, if this NBA final was in the bubble of last year, what the hell would the series be at right now? Because home court has meant so much. We've seen such a swing in that. There was no home court. It was just what color jersey are we wearing? Yeah, no, that's sports. You know, you need fans, and and the players love it. The, you know, obviously the fans uh, love watching games. And again, perfect example. Like I said, what we've seen in these first five games of the NBA Finals, in in the home court basically dominating up until you know game number five in Phoenix, where the Bucks got the road win. The fans have made it, and again, ratings are are off the charts. Again, you know, when you look at these two teams, probably two of the the two best teams, if we go during the course of the entire season, definitely the two best in the postseason. Uh, you got plenty of star power in this thing. But, yeah, would it be lackluster without fans? Absolutely. And I'm with you with this Olympics. I am curious. I mean, that's really the word. Before, I always you know, would use a, a different phraseology. I would say, I'm really excited. I use that adjective. I'm excited, really looking forward to it. I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm excited. I'm really not excited, to be honest with you. And... I'm curious. I mean, that has taken over our our situation now because of no fans. And you you bring up a great point. The opening ceremonies. I mean, we're traditionalists. We we enjoy the pomp and circumstance and the and the ceremonies and the color and the pageantry. We love that about you know college football and sports in general, specifically the Olympic Games. And now, what is that going to look like? I don't think we're going to see a hundred thousand cardboard cutouts. I don't think they have enough time to to do it. And plus. 
They've well, spent, they've had an extra year. Yeah, they, but but they thought they were going to have fans. You know what I'm saying? And plus, the fact is, I think they've used all the cardboard to make the beds. Now, I'm going to save that story for tomorrow. I don't know if you guys heard that story or not. But, yeah, the Olympic Village, the beds are made out of cardboard. But we'll get into that tomorrow. But anyway, yeah, what's that going to look like? And let's welcome the United States of America. And we're going to hear the anthem. And then I got to thinking what you said last week. Are they going to pipe in sound? You're going to have to at this point, right? Well, you'll have to. I mean, we know that they're going to pipe in the sounds of the national anthems of all the teams when they enter the arenas, and we know we're going to have that during the medal presentations where the athletes will be putting the medals on themselves. Yes. So, yes, it, it's going to be very strange. The other th- another thing you mentioned, curious, and I think that's a good word for it because I'm curious. In Olympics, in track and field, in swimming, in so many events that have world records, obviously there's not world records in gymnastics and tennis and stuff like that. But in things that have timed or distance throwing or something like that, people spend their entire life to peak for the Olympics. We see so many world records. Will there be world records without people cheering in the, fan, in the stands in that? Will there be a different, even though you're trying to do it because the, the Olympics, will it be that same atmosphere to break the world records that we routinely see in Olympics most of the time? Yeah, I think you know, that, that goes to the performance and I think, obviously, these athletes are still going to perform in a high level, uh, especially in these individual sports. It'll in, be in high, crowd. but will uh, it yeah. be the highest of all time? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, answered your question, will there be world records broken? Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And, you know, then we get into this situation, too, is like, well, you know, we've seen numbers posted on all the sports book of how many gold medals the United States are going to win. I think that number is like is 46 and a half, which is right where it was in the last Olympiad. And then, you know, how, uh, will the United States win the most medals of everyone? All that sort of thing. All combined. All combined. And so it's just going to be weird. It's going to be, uh, again, curious. And then um, and how many stories are we going to have to watch or sit through of, you know, the NBC is always putting together, you know, over these filler stories and just kind of these human interest stories of what is happening in Tokyo. And I think so many people are just want to get past COVID and want to get past the situation. And the games have been postponed a year later. And then they're all excited about that. And then now it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, I guess you could have probably held the Olympic Games last year if we're going to have no fans, have all these protocols. Everyone's going to be quarantined and everything. So it's just, you know, wondering how many stories we're going to see with that. And how are the ratings going to be? And I, I firmly believe because people are looking at this as a negative. It may turn them off from watching. And then once you start watching, kind of the way I, I felt about the UFC card the other night, without any fans, without you know, the yelling, the screaming, and it's not just the, the, the cheering of the fans. I go back to the pageantry. It's the flags. Everyone who comes, oh, That's not part everyone, of the fan but basis, yeah, yeah, they bring their flags and they bring that. So, you know, flags the, and signs yeah, and everything else. Yeah, yeah for sure, absolutely. Yeah. And I really, it's think, all part of the pageantry, right? I think I think that is really going to have a major effect on the opening ceremonies and all the competition. And I think NBC could be in for a, a ratings disaster. Well, and and this too, and I certainly don't want this to happen. We're already seeing people get tested with COVID over there. What about when some big name or medal winners or people competing all of a sudden aren't eligible? And I, I really don't want to say this, but it's something you got to watch. Will they get through the Olympics? I think they're going to basically force themselves to. Because at this point in time, they were too late in the game to postpone or cancel them or postpone them at this point in time. And there was that talk, as we talked about a month ago. 
but they said, you know, we're we're all in. I mean, yeah, you our, can't have the winter and summer, summer Olympics at the same right, time. Although right, they used right. to do that, but they yeah. were still spread out. But yeah, it's there's it's a, different. And Tokyo is so Tokyo is going to be losing so much money on this already. Mm-hmm. And now, like you say, with the no fans, with everything else, what are the ratings going to be? You know, I don't know about you, but if I watch it, well, I will watch as much as I can. But I'll probably be watching most of it live. I'm not one of those people that likes to watch it when they put it on at 8 p.m. at night in prime time so everybody can see it. And I know the results of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because when you're dealing with the the time difference there, of course, and again, with social media and everything else, you you do know the results. But what You have to try hard not to find out results for that. You can't can't watch ESPN or anything because you can't watch the ticker or Fox Sports or any Mm. of them like that. You can't look at your phone. You got to turn off any sports updates that you have or something like that. And then you got to hope that you're not in a bout. And when somebody goes, wow, do you believe Simone Biles? Wait, no, shut up. Yep. Could you, you know, just, or, or did you see that in track and field? No, shut up. Yeah. And you can't push all of your marquee events to the weekend. And that's what they try to do as well, too. So at least that could be daytime television. Everybody can see it. Yeah, that's, it, it's a difficult, uh, you know, project. And, and then we're going to have all the side stories, like you mentioned, of whenever the women are sprinting, how many times are we going to hear about Shikari? And we're mm-hmm. going to hear about her story and the marijuana and this, that. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. and, the other thing, the, the one thing that I don't like about the Olympics is that if you watch it in this country, and maybe every country does this, if you watch it in this country, you think that it's only Americans competing half the time. Yeah. They really don't show other people unless they're, oh, here's an American that got a bronze when we didn't think they'd get a medal at all or something like that. I'd like to see more of the best mm-hmm. athletes in the world just because they're the best athletes in the world, I don't care where they come from. I mean, America is great, and we have tremendous athletes in almost every field out there. But that's why the whole world gets together. That's why the total on the medals is 46 and a half, and now we're going to win them all. Yeah, and fortunately, because we are in America, we will get a chance to see the majority of those great athletes because the Americans have so many athletes in the games in those different sports, and they right. may not be very good, but because of that, they'll show that. Uh, and to your point, I'll, I'll give you a, a prime example. When uh, I was, was – was the last Olympic Games, or the one before, whatever it uh, was, I was in Italy and during the course of the Olympic Games, and I wanted to watch the Olympics. And I would try to, you know, for that week that I was there – trying to factor my, my day or my, my night around watching that. And what did I see on Italian television? Italian athletes. Yeah. I saw everything from Italian handball to you know, a lot of these minor sports that you would never sh- get shown on NBC here for, for in, in America, and I was stuck. So answer to your question, yes, every country does that. And, and I knew that most of them did, yeah. but I wonder if some of the smaller ones don't have enough to do that. To the, Obviously not to the extent that we do yeah. over here. And I get it, too. And, yeah. and Buck Power Paul told us, you know, our buddy yeah. over in England, you know, he's like, well, yeah, they, they basically tend to show all the English. And it makes sense. Sure. But I would just like to see, and, and maybe nowadays with all the channels, that maybe they'll have some where they will show a little bit more. And I'm not saying that they don't show anybody from the other mm-hmm. countries. That's how we knew names like Lassie Veer and Bibi Bakila yeah. and people like that, Kipchoge Kino and that that we were talking about the other day. But it seems like more and more as the years go on, they get more and more centrific and just focus in on the Americans. If the Americans aren't winning a gold medal, here's a story on one of them that's going to be competing. Right. When I was in Italy, I, I couldn't see like a, 
a USA Argentina basketball game. I wasn't going to see that. Instead, I'm, I'm watching you know Italy against Portugal or something like that. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're just that's the way it is in the country. But I think I think it's better in this country than it is every other country because Maybe. You know. and, and because we probably have so much coverage and so many different channels Correct. to put it on in that too. So. Correct. And like you said, the other thing that's always that it, it always kind of makes me laugh because. And you mentioned one of the sports that I see people do it about. Wow, that team handball is awesome. Yeah. That's great. I need to watch it. Then they put it on as nobody ever watches it again. They watch yeah. it every four years. That's it. You know, like yeah. like most people think that track and field only happens once every four years or something like that. You yeah. get ready for you know, world championships go on all the time. There's a lot of great stuff out there in all the sports, but in so many sports out there, you know, it's just the Olympics that's all that matters. Well, you could say that. For swimming, as popular as swimming is, oh, absolutely. and knowing that well, the swimming Americans and diving, yeah. yeah. But how often do do Americans watch it? Every four years, maybe you know the U.S. Championships every year, but but no, it, well, it, it, it gets buried. Is, is, is yeah. As huge as Simone Biles yeah. is, because yeah. she's the greatest of all time. They shine every four years. In this case, the five years, yeah. but the World Championships and the non-Olympic years, and that yeah. they, they some people will go, oh, Simone won again. Or if she were to lose, they'd be like, oh, my God, someone lost. Yeah. Well, she must be getting ready for the Olympics. It's like kind of when Usain Bolt would lose once in a while in a non-Olympic year and people go, oh, he's vulnerable now. <laughs> he's not any good anymore. He's not late. Oh, here's an Olympics. Oh, there's another world record. Yeah, but you'd have to hear about that from, from a secondary source because you w- couldn't watch it. You know, on television. Yeah. We're, I'd, we're I'd probably that. be that secondary source because yeah. I try to watch all that stuff right. when it comes on. Right. But no, it, it, and I get it. Because it is the biggest thing, but sometimes I almost feel sorry for. I think we talked about Dwight Stone's years uh, a, a while back, and the, did the Fosbury flop yeah. and the high jumper and that. Dwight Stone was popular because he was kind of a character and that kind of stuff, but he didn't win Olympic gold. Right, he, he won all the other stuff. So in his sport, some people kind of looked at him as, well, he was, he was good. He might have hold the world record for a little while, but he didn't win Olympic gold. But he was a good announcer, yeah. Because <laughs> we heard him announcing for year after years after years yeah. after that. So, yeah, that's that's marketing, and uh, you know, and rooting for Vashti Cunningham again. You know, she finished thirteenth uh, at the last Olympic Games. That was her first, and she was actually the youngest competitor uh, at, at that point in time. And that was right after she had won the world indoor championship. So she Mendo. was really on a high, right? And it, it's funny because a lot of people think like. Well, why is there an indoor record and an outdoor record in the pole vault and high jump and all that kind of stuff? Because conditions that do make a difference all in track your timing and, field, and the all sprints that sort of as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. the sprints, at least you could say, yeah. well, yeah, there's wind and stuff like that. But there, there's definitely variances in that that, that make it very different. But, uh, yeah, she's a sensational high jumper. To be, and, and those are the kind of sports, too, that if you get hot and you have your best on that one certain day, you can win gold. How often do we see that in the field events? The discus, the shot put, the hammer throw, the jet. I mean, you see a guy that, oh, he's ranked 15th, but they uncork that one throw. It's the throw of their life. Right. It's like, you know, Bob Beeman's long jump. He's never going to do it again, but they don't have to because they did it for the Olympics. Right. All right. So a lot of interesting stories, uh, you know, coming up here with the Olympics and every day now. I mean, and we talked about this last week that was this was probably going to happen as we get closer. And especially once the athletes get to Tokyo, which athletes, uh, you know, could contract this, uh, could events be postponed. And like I mentioned, you know, Team USA from a basketball perspective, the men, the women uh, they got on planes today are going to Tokyo. And we just saw Team USA play yesterday. Uh, at the Mandalay Bay at the Michelob Ultra Arena where uh, they defeated Spain. 
they trailed that game early, uh, but they came back to win 83 to 76. And uh, one of the guys who played, you know, pretty well uh, was Zach Levine, um, the Chicago Bull, who's on this team. Well, today we get news that Zach Levine is not making the trip. He was all set to get on that plane today. And again, they did more testing here this morning. Zach Levine comes back positive. He's not making the trip. Now think about this. Here's a guy comes been in Vegas the past three, three and a half weeks, training camp here at the Mendenhall Center at UNLV. You go through these you know, four exhibition games. Should have been five, but the game against Australia was, was canceled. So you go through four exhibition games, and you're packing basically for a month and a half or, you know, you know, basically like five, six weeks you're packing for, and then you're getting ready to get on the plane today and you are told, sorry, you are not going. Your Olympic dream is over. So Zach Levine is in COVID protocol. I don't know what the team USA, the men's side are going to do with replacing him because at this point in time, uh, you know, who who can you bring up now? You got to bring somebody else over and, you know, traveling basically by themselves well, maybe you could put him on the plane with the three guys that will be going from the NBA championship. Yeah, you know, it uh, could be. Could send over a four-pack. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you could. You could. But you, know, you don't know when those guys, are, you know. Well, yeah. Because the basketball, as you know, is immediate. I mean, they start playing the 23rd. So you don't know if Chris Middleton and Devin Booker and Drew Holiday are going to be ready, even for game one. Because if this goes seven-game series, you know, game seven <clears> – <throat> Is is going to be what uh, Thursday Thursday so what, night? So what you're telling me is Greg Popovich is hoping for Bucks and six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just just like all those uh, Milwaukee. He's maniacs. like all the people in the Deer District. Yeah. yeah. So and then so here's another story and another local local aspect here is that uh, the women's three on three, Katie Lou Samuelson, who's on the three on three along with Kelsey Plum and Alicia Gray and uh, Stephanie Dolson. She uh, tested positive as well, too, so she can't go. So Now, this is three-on-three. Do you know what the rosters are for three-on-three? You probably know because you heard me probably talk about her. I posted earlier today. I mean, I glanced at it, but I don't know them like that. It's four. I'd say I know it as good as the back of my hand because, I mean, who really knows the back of their hand? I always hated that statement. I thought it was four or five. It's four. So so you have one sub. You have one sub. So, So... Either somebody, you put them in to get something hot, or if somebody gets injured, heaven forbid that doesn't happen, then yes. you literally, then you go with those. What, what yeah. do they do if two people get hurt? I know. Do you, do you play woman, I, woman down? I don't. Like in soccer or something? Is it three on two? Well, they do. Is, have, it, is it a power play the rest of the basketball game? They, they do have two coaches. So maybe those coaches, hey, we'll throw in one of the coaches uh, as well. But uh, so from a local standpoint here, and. I got a little bit of a theory here. So when they announced that, hey, Katie Lou Samuelson wasn't going to be able to, to play, that took your roster down to three. They needed to find somebody else. Well, they picked up Jackie Young from the Aces. Now, Jackie's had an amazing season. She would not probably be, you know, one of the, the top four players that you would like to get for three-on-three. But, you know, we've seen her half-court game. She's very strong. She's developed, uh, you know, that mid-range game pretty nicely. She's a physical presence. But one of the reasons I got to believe that they selected Jackie Young because she's here, she's here right, in right Vegas place, already. Right time, right? Exactly. Right. I'm pretty sure that that probably had some of the thinking. Like, we're getting on a plane in a couple hours. We need to fill out our roster. We need a fourth. Who could it be? Las Vegas Asia. Well, Asia Wilson. Nope, she's already on that team. And Chelsea Grell, she's already on the team. Uh, 
J- Jackie Young. Maybe Kelsey Plum put in a good word for her. Hey, yeah. you know, we play pretty well together. You know, the two of us, it's, you know, it's a, that could be yeah. an advantage because we already have the chemistry. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations to Jackie Young for getting an opportunity to win a gold medal. And if you talk to Jackie, never in her wildest dreams, she thought that she would, you know, be be going to Tokyo. And, you know, when I when I talked to her, the last Aces game, she was like my pregame guest. And, we were, and I said to her, so what are your, you know, what are your vacation plans? She goes, hey, hey I'm going back home, going back to Indiana, really looking forward to, uh, forward to spending the time. That's Jackson 5, by the way. Going, going back to Indiana. <laughs> there you go. Not John Cougar Mellicamp, but the, but the Jacksons. <laughs> there you go. Except they, they were going to uh, a little different part of Indiana than John Cougar Mellicamp was hanging out in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gary, yeah. Indiana. Not a lot of little pink houses in Gary, yeah. Indiana. Yeah. There, so. You could basically see uh, Gary, Indiana, or you could actually see uh, the old Comiskey Park, or whatever they call it now, guaranteed rate field, from anywhere in Gary, Indiana. Isn't that true? Pretty close, right? Well, depending on how the pollution and the smog is there, <laughs> right. if you can see anything, you know. But, um, That's so, where Nunchuck's house so, so the moral of the story about Jackie yeah. Young to me is, if you want to potentially be an Olympian, you better come and play for the Vegas Aces, or <laughs> right, right. you know, because then you're in the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. yeah. You never know when the call's coming. So that's okay. Put on the resume there. I mean, you get to participate, chance to win a gold medal. And the Las Vegas Aces, great PR. Hey, half of our three on three team are Las Vegas Aces. Half of our three on three and a couple on the other team in it. And now, are they are they the most represented team overall between the three on three and the women's team? Then, absolutely. Now? I mean, they've got to be. Absolutely, got to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. No doubt. So I it's mean. aces high for Tokyo. Yeah. Well, let's let's let's. I will say this. Yes, so it is true. I was, I was adding it up here. Three Seattle Storm uh, women are on the team. So you get you know Brianna Stewart, uh, Sue Bird, and Jewel Lloyd, but they don't have anybody in the three on three. So yeah, aces win, right? So four, Jackie four, Young, three. Jackie Young, put them over. Seals the deal. That's it. See that tiebreaker is big, just like the Aces defeating uh, Seattle two out of three thus far season series. Tiebreaker is big. By the way, one other thing that I wanted to throw in since we're doing this Olympic talk right now, we're talking about the COVID and that. I'm sure you saw this, but I know you've been doing a lot of stuff this weekend. Coco Goff also out of the Olympics yeah. for the tennis. And I, I, I liked her statement afterwards saying that she was really hoping and dreaming of being in the Olympics someday. She hopes that maybe somewhere down the road she can do it. Coco, you're 17 years old. You have plenty more Olympic opportunities down the road, you know, because there's not another Serena. If there's another Serena coming up from the USA, it's you, young lady, not somebody else. So, but I thought that was cool in that yeah. that she she was disappointed. And, but you know, when a seventeen year old says, "Well, I've been kind of dreaming of this my whole life, yeah. and I really wanted to do this," it's like, relax, you'll have time. <laughs> but you really you can't blame her. And oh really, no, no, and no. From an experience standpoint, this would have been great experience for her. It would well, not have been great yeah. experience, but but Osaka's dropped out. So yeah. A lot of girls aren't there. And she could have medaled. She might have got the gold. Yeah. She 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 yeah. definitely would have been one of the favorites to medal, or at least yeah. be certainly in the hunt That's for sad. it, because there's so many people not there. So the number of COVID nineteen cases for these uh, Olympic games is now up to sixty one. So re- remember last year when we were dealing with this on a daily basis, and we had like the COVID count of you know how many players and you know were affected. I, I, again, I'm feeling like this is a flashback. I mean, we're, we're doing this all over again. And but there's no turning back. It's deja vu all over again. It's, it's deja vu. It's, it's Groundhog Day all over again. Bill Murray, over and over. But but there's no turning back. There, these games are going on. So uh, it's up to 61, including some athletes who are already in the Olympic Village in Tokyo. You know, 
Unbelievable. And here's another uh, Olympic gymnast, American gymnast, what uh, Kara Eaker did, uh, tested positive in training camp. So even though her father says she's fully vaccinated. Oh, but we're seeing uh, more and more people that have been fully right. vaccinated that are getting the virus again. Uh, all right. Christina Madison, she's going to join us tomorrow. Our good old friend, Dr. Christina. So uh, we're going to ask her a lot of these questions. You know, why why is this happening? And, uh, and we know that... Uh, this will be a huge story. Unfortunately, I, I, I hope it's not the main story of the Olympic Games because we only get it every four years. In this case, like you mentioned, every five years. And, uh, you know, and our basketball team is already thin. We're always talking about that and not even got thinner. So I don't know what they're going to do. So at least, I guess, the three-on-three, three, uh, they had Jackie Hatter here, so at least – their team got to, to travel together. I don't know what Team USA is going to do. And again, Team USA won. I know a lot of people, it's always a, what's the latest news? Like, hey, okay, we, you know, we defeated Spain, so we're back, we're back. And I heard the announcer saying this yesterday while I was watching the game, is that, you know, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to be fine. You know, still favorites of the gold medal. Go to the sports book. USA still favor the gold medal. But still, this is not a great roster. And this is not ideal if you're Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, and this coaching staff, where... You're getting on a plane basically with eight, nine players, and then you're waiting for another three to come and join you who haven't had one practice with this team. And you're getting ready, oh, we've got to open up against France. And France, as we know, Rudy Gobert, they're no slouch. I mean, no, they, in fact, they're I, a metal favorite. I heard some people think that they could, that they have as they could win the gold. shot to gold as anybody Absolutely. else out there. Definitely metal. And, and, and how many times during that game yesterday? I, I I should have put an over under on it or something and counted it more. But how many times? Well, you know, Spain they, they won the last World Championships yeah. and the USA's beaten. It's like, yeah, it means so nothing. what? Yeah, <laughs> means nothing. Yeah, you know that and what seven dollars today buys you a cup of coffee or something. And, I don't know. How and, much Paul, it is. and Paul Gasol is thirty six years old. Oh, and by the way, I mean, how many how many Olympic uh, gold medals does he have? Yeah, zero. And Rudy Gobert started all his COVID stuff, didn't he? No, I'm just saying that. that, that, that in the NBA, when he touched all the stuff, that was... Uh, yeah, that brought it to the, to the forefront, didn't he, it? He, he certainly brought it to the forefront, making fun of everybody. Hey, yeah, I got yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, I really do have COVID. Sorry. Yeah. Whoops, my bad. Uh, yeah. You can still ask Donovan Mitchell how he feels about that, right? The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright's going to join us. We talk Team USA, and we talk Bucks and Suns. We're going to talk about what we saw on Saturday night, that uh, very entertaining Game 5, and we preview Game 6, which we have to wait till tomorrow night. But the big seven-footer joins us next. This is Bill Cartwright of the University of San Francisco Dons. You're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. He does not know Westerns, but he does know his sports. I will be there to get him right as much as possible. I feel if you are going to play that ridiculous rejoiner that you and the seven-footer constructed while he was here, that you should come out of that with some cowboy country music like it was playing in the background. No! That, that is not... I don't. Would it be more like dun 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 dun? Yeah, like the Cartwright theme. That's what you should call it. Yeah. yeah, you really blew that all together. I don't know. I mean, believe me, I love the cut that you played there. You know, but I even love this one. I'll say this, but doesn't fit the time. Doesn't the timing fit. is not good. Right, yeah. In in the music business, if you're at a music station, this is what's known as a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Where the segue just does not fit. Exactly. 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 And every time I hear this, I think of Tim Brando. 
Maybe we're going to have, have to have Tim, Tim Brando back on again. Yeah. The transition. I like where he went with that. Very nice. All right. Well, we'll just use this. Here he comes, ladies and gentlemen. The big seven-footer. I believe size 18 and a half. I think Bob Lanier was a, was a 19. So, it's, you know, who knows? The big foot, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. What's going on, Bertha? Well, that's uh, it's an 18. It's and, an 18. you know, what's really odd about that, it's always odd, is that what do you expect a seven-foot guy to wear, like a, a 12? <laughs> I mean, is that really? That's right. Is that what you really expect? It's a good it's point. Exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, what shirt size are you? Uh, are you an XL? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wear regular. Just a regular T-shirt. Yeah, right. And it's just, it's just crazy. How 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 has shopping been for you your entire life? I mean, do, again, you're just relegated to the big and tall. Are, are, are your are your you know fashions limited? You got to go, uh, you know, shop online. I mean, how does that work? I mean, a lot of people have these type of questions, you know. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of odd people out there, but but the bottom <laughs> line it comes it comes into that you know everybody has a little quirk. Because my my legs are really long, so my into is like a forty two, but but I can wear a two x you know double O shirt, uh, and people are like, really? I say, yeah, because my torso is not really that long, but my legs are extraordinarily long. My legs, my arms, long. So uh, it's not bad because, uh, as a matter of fact, a guy that uh, that you know, Kevin Willis. Uh, he makes a, a jean shorts shirts uh, for the big and tall. There are big and talls in town. Uh, they used to be Rochester's, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's there's plenty. And also, if you want to get stuff made up yourself, uh, there's uh, there's there's a ton of those guys that are thrilled to make some suits for you, but uh, it's, it's going to cost you. So um, everybody's got problems, whether they're short, whether they're a little pudgy, whether they're, you know, fitting in with style or, or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's all in what you like. For me, I'm a pretty conservative guy, as you know. So uh, I, don't, I don't sway away. I'm not going to wear anything flowery. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just... Uh, it's just a guy of my generation, so I just got to go with that. The well, This fashion update brought to you by Big Bill Cartwright. Well, and it probably helps, too, that if you have to buy some specialty clothes here and there, that you are a star in the NBA and you have the bankroll that you can do that because uh, not a, not every seven-footer out there has that uh, going for them. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think TC was telling you the story about when, uh, you know, there was people around making suits, and I can remember... Uh, with one of my teammates, Cliff Livingston, who I love, Cluffy. And Cluffy is, uh, you know, he and I are a little different shopping. Now, I went and I did buy a suit, beautiful suit, made up. And the guy asked me, well, what do you want with that? You want socks, you want shirt, you want belt? I said, no, I just want the suit. I'll take care of the rest. And Cliffy got all that. But the problem is, is that Cliffy bought 15 of them. <laughs> bought 15 suits, plus shirts and all that other stuff. Now, I'm not going to do that. So um, he's a little more stylish than me, but uh, that's just uh, that's just me. I don't I think there's anything more. wrong with 15 suits. I mean, you're you'll you'll wear them. 
I mean, again, you go to enough, uh, you know, nice events. I mean, put them in your closet. Uh, yeah, you, you should have went with at least, I would say, at least seven or eight. Could have done that. No, I already have suits. And, matter of fact, I, I'll buy one or two at a time. I'm not going to buy 15 suits. There's, there's not going to be ever any time in my life where I'm going to need to go in and buy 15 suits. Well, like, like a guy uh, buying 15 cars, right? There's no need to, to buy 15 cars, Floyd Mayweather Jr., much, right? Well, it, it depends. If it's old cars, now we got something a little bit different. Okay. Yeah, Collect- you could be a car collector like Jay Leno or something. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So okay, that's bad example. <laughs> but uh, no, no, the suits, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I... Uh, uh, at least not for me. Are you trying to say that there's a time in your life where you needed to buy 10 suits? How many suits does T.C. Martin have? Not many, to be honest with you. Uh, not, I don't know, not not many because, uh, you know, a lot of times I will go ahead and do the rental thing when I'm going to go to a, a big occasion. Like because, the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame right, or something. Exactly. And I like to go or if I'm emceeing an event and... You know, I'll, I'll say it. I mean, fortunately, I'll be able to work a deal with someone who will provide it for me. And I like to go above and beyond and wear like a crazy zoot suit or something like that. And so, yeah, a lot of times you can't buy that kind of stuff. So big events, I, I go more towards that routine. So you have a zoot suit riot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some footer. Uh, this game we, wa- we watched on Saturday night. Uh, game number five, we had talked a lot about these two teams, what kind of series we are going to have. We were genuinely excited about it. But this thing really has lived up to the hype. As much as you and I both complain about basketball during the course of the regular season and the type of style and the games and the, you know, the abundance of threes, I don't know. It seems like we could put – I won't speak for you, but I guess I could put, to get, put that to a side to a, to a certain degree because I have enjoyed this series thus far. But let's start off with this. Let's, first of all, let's recap. Uh, game five. So the Phoenix Suns jump out to a 37-21 lead at the end of the first quarter. The uh, Bucks come storming back. They erase a 16-point deficit. They outscored the Phoenix Suns the rest of the way. Uh, and the Bucks made 32 of 45 shots during the second and third quarters. Think about this. Second and third quarter. They make 32 out of 45, unheard of, and I believe there was like the, this stretch in the game where I think the Bucks scored like on 10 or 11 straight possessions. Uh, they outscored Phoenix 79 to 53 during the second and the third. They shot 62 percent, which was just percentage points. I think behind Orlando for a for the first three quarters of an NBA Finals game, just phenomenal. Uh, the way uh, you know the, the the Bucks turned this thing around, but just when we thought it was over, the Phoenix Suns were down nine with three and a half minutes to go. They actually get within one with a chance actually to take the lead, and this happens. Suns have a timeout. Decide not to call it. Booker the drive gets inside, leans in, knocked away, and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle foul throws it down! And a foul! Giannis on the alley-oop! What a turnaround! What a turnaround was, basically game, set, match, even though you know Giannis missed the free throw, 
uh, got an offensive board, tapped it back out to Middleton. And to me, that was two, the play of the game. Yeah. That tap back, because yeah. he made sure I'm not going to get the rebound and yeah. have him follow me again. Yeah. I don't want to go back to the line. He tapped it back. Middleton missed one of them as well, but he made one, and that was pretty much, like you said, that sealed it. All right. Game five, in your opinion, uh, Bill, what were your thoughts there? Well, what I did not like, now look, there's going to be times during the course of the series where guys just make tough shots like Booker did. Booker made, Booker made a, a hell of a lot of tough jump shots. I mean, he's he's really fallen to his own. He's an all-star player. What I did not like him was all the layups that they gave up. He just gave up too many damn many layups. Now, uh, if this is supposed to be a hard-fought game, Right? It's a hard-fought game. Yes. Both teams shot over 50%. Both teams shot over 50% from the three-point line. The Suns shot over 60 from the three-point line. How How is this a hard-fought game? This This was a walk in the park. These guys <laughs> scored 40 points in the second quarter. They scored 123 points for the game to 119. How is this a hard-fought game? Well, I think when this people use hard. that term hard-fought, I think that gets misrepresented a little bit, and they mean it was a close, it was a competitive game. I think that's what they mean when you say hard-fought. Now, it sounds like you're saying hard-fought turns into a physical battle, and you're going back to, to your battles like with the Pistons or you know some of those, no, great, those great finals. I don't know. What? I'm not going back there. I'm saying that you're not guarding anybody. Give 123 points. You give them 41 points in the second quarter. Hard thought equates a, defense for that, you. How is that? How is that stopping anybody? Oh, they didn't stop anybody. And again, how no. about how about this stat? To your point, the Phoenix Suns shoot 50 percent from the field, 90 percent from the free throw line, and still lose. How does that happen? Well, and the other thing that I think Bill brought up, and I agree with him on it, especially in an NBA Finals, when you get that many layups. How are you not being knocked down to the ground? You've got to pay for that. You can't have uncontested layups in oh. game five in the final. These guys are soft, man. They're all soft, right? What did Steve Sachs uh, say? The wimpification of America? Look, <laughs> look I, just, I, I would just like to see the, the idea that and these guys are great players. Now, look, there's, there's no question about it. But I can't get beat at three. I can't get beat from the two-point line. And I can't get beat on the free throw line. Right? You've got to make a decision. Where are you going to get beat? So you, these guys got beat from every, every slot. They got beat outside. They got beat inside. They got beat on the free throw line. And well, except for uh, Milwaukee because they can't make free throws. So um, that's what I would like to see. I, I would like to see these guys being smarter defensively. Just give it up tough shots. If they make them, they make them. Uh, I don't like all the direct line uh, drives to the basket and the layups. That 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 really hurts me. And then, you know, it's it's such a common thing now that it's like, oh, well, you made a great move. You made a great move. Just back up and make it and get beat from one way or the other. But um, it's just. I didn't. I didn't think it was a great game. I thought it was a great win for uh, for the Bucks, and then now they can uh, close it out. But I didn't. I didn't think it was a great game. I didn't think it was a smart game. Um, I just saw 
uh, who was it? The son tried once to jump in the zone because they couldn't stop anybody. Stayed there at least a couple times. So let me go back to this. Why? Let's go. Let's go to back to the coaching here because I I think this is a message, and we're not in the huddles. We don't get a chance really to see the coaches in the huddle, but we can only gauge by what we see from the cameras during the course of the game when they show the coaches in the bench, especially after three, after three, after three, or after you know uh, every you know possession, those 10, 11 in a row where you, you're giving up points and a guy burns a timeout. What would Bill Cartwright say in that huddle? What would you say to your guys? Because I don't believe, Bill, that either one of these coaches or many coaches in the NBA are grilling their guys and saying, get in front of somebody, knock somebody down, play some defense, get physical, I, you know, challenge. And this, this is what bothers me. It's just that I, I don't see enough guys challenging shots. For the most part, it's like okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna throw my hand up, you know, in his waist or whatever. But I'm not gonna put it in his face. I'm, I'm not gonna challenge shots, and I don't see coaches really challenging their players or getting on their players for this. So tell me what your thoughts about that is, and what would you say if if you're coaching in today's NBA and you're and you're in one of these type of games where you need your team to clamp down? Uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm not saying these guys aren't playing hard. And, and I'm not saying that they're not being physical enough because I think there was situations in that game that was a really physical game, right? There was, there was a lot of contact. I'm just saying they're not being very smart. And and, and well, how there's playing. too many wide open but, shots, though. Didn't you agree with that? I mean, there's too too many uncontested layups. There's too many wide open threes. The rotations are poor. That's all I'm saying, and that all goes back to to defense, not just challenging well, shots, but being in the right well, place. Exactly, and I agree with you. But what I'm saying is that you've got to decide. These guys are too good. They're too good for you to let them get to let them beat you at the three point line, at the basket, and at, and on the free throw line. You got to make a decision. Where where are you going to get beat? And and for me, if if they're giving up a bunch of shots from the outside, you get beat. You got beat. Like, God bless you. But I don't think I don't think you can do it. I think you can get beat uh, from the three point line and at the basket and on the free throw line. That's why you end up with 123 points, 129 points. Or I'm sorry, 119 points. But uh, uh, you've got to decide during the course of the game. Look, guys, this is this is how we're going to get beat. This is how we're going to get beat. And if, if it's not working, we'll change it. But but at least I'm, are you are you telling me? I'm asking you, what is the defensive philosophy that's going on with these guys? What is it? I, I don't know. If you can tell I, me. I I I'd appreciate it. I I would love to. I really don't know. I don't know. And then and we'll see at times that oh we're going to drop back into a zone and that just kills me because you don't play zone. And the majority of the time on any NBA team, especially these two teams, and we say, we're going to drop into a zone. Oh, what are you going to do? Now Now you're really going to give them some wide-open looks for, from three? Because the zone doesn't take away uh, the three. The zone is supposed to take away the paint. And like I said, most of these guys aren't driving the paint except for Giannis. That's a bit. So I don't know what the defensive philosophy is because I see bad switches. We've talked about that from, from games one and two in Milwaukee's side. And we're seeing on both sides, and I see lack of rotation. I don't. I don't know. To, to me, it, it, there's virtually 
no defense except for one guy, and that's Drew Holiday, and he's been fantastic. And the, the, the problem with the Bucks is they don't know whether to put him on Chris Paul or Devin Booker. And uh, that's, that's, that's where the problem is. They put him on Paul, then Booker goes off for 40. Luckily, the Bucks still have had enough to win. But, you know, these games are razor thin. I mean, we're talking about one or two possessions here that still could have gone either way. I mean, Phoenix, again, went for the second game in a row, shot these incredible numbers, and they had a chance to win, and they, they choked it away. So I, I don't know. I, I got just two quick questions for you. One is, do you think Phoenix is cooked? And, and the other part of this is, why have the Suns looked so different from what we saw in games one and two to what we saw in three, four, and five? Because I thought that in this last game, it was one guy really dominating, dominating the game, and he was on. Booker was on at 40. He shot a great percentage, but what that does is that, that takes others out of it. Like Crowler, Crowler ended up at 10. But but he wasn't really that involved offensively. And also, look at it. You know, he's got to get... Um, but one credit because Kavanaugh uh, and uh, Bobby Portis, who's to, I guess turned into a folk legend now in Milwaukee, uh, those guys bring a lot of energy on the court, and and the Suns have not had that. Uh, you know, the Suns bench are getting. You know, I think uh, uh, you know Johnson had six, and somebody else had six, and Craig had three, but but they're not bringing the same kind of energy. So the Suns starters are, are logging minutes. And it takes it out on him at the end of the game. Thus, you know, the big turnover by Holiday, the big steal. Uh, interesting enough, I thought he was going to pull it to the basket, and he pulled it out and then threw a lob. About that, threw a lob from 25 feet, and luckily caught it <laughs> and made it and got fouled. But, uh, that's the way the Bucks play, though. They are unconventional in that way, and we know that. And that's why, again, they they fell behind, you know, by sixteen. But then they get hot, and offensively they do some quirky things, but they get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been, you know, I mean, you know, the Suns are playing a small team. They're playing a small lineup. Um, Milwaukee has figured it out. They they all that switching and taking advantage of. Uh, you would like to think that was going to continue to happen in this next game where uh, you know the Suns, you feel like they have to make uh, some changes, but I don't see how they're going to do it. They've got a small team. They're not going to change it. They're going to play the same style and just hope that they can somehow slow the Bucks down and hopefully uh, um, keep them in the vicinity so they can uh, somehow get a win. But um, but you're right. You know what? It's, it it has been a good series. We should we should be loving this right now. It's something different. It's something to talk about. There's no uh, we have no clue what's going to happen in this next game. That's for damn sure. Uh, so so it has been. It's been a great series. So what are your what is your thought right now? Is it over in six, or does Phoenix find a way to get the wind and make it a game seven? Which everybody always says they want a game seven. I think this year you can say everybody except the people in Wisconsin want a game seven. Well, this this is the Bucks. This this is Buck game to lose, as far as I'm concerned. They've got everything going for them. They got momentum going for them. They 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 figured out the formula. Uh, everybody's playing well. Everybody's healthy. They've got a better bench. Uh, unless something really 
you know, the sons do something really screwy or do something that's pure genius on defense that really takes uh, takes uh, their their scores out of the game. Uh, this has got to be Milwaukee's game. And and what's interesting is that um, people people like the Bucks. People really do. I mean, not that they don't like Phoenix, but they really. Uh, I, I think have embraced the Bucks as being, you know, the type of team they want to see win. Uh, so uh, they they just got everything I believe going for them. I agree with you, and we're going to touch on that uh, on the other side of the hour as well. All right, my friend, uh, we'll let you go. And uh, look at this, N- Numchuck. See, he know he knows what you like. He's going. He's going. Is it Western music? Is that country and Western? That's Western. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What are you playing? That sounds something like. I guess it could be a. I think it's a theme song from one of the old westerns, but I'm not. Really... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there it is. All right, all right, Bill. We'll leave you with that. Yeah, <laughs> you guys got to work on that too. Come yeah. on. Not you guys. That's one person that's, behind the glass. That's one person over there. He thinks he's oh, being well, uh, well, great. Well, 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 somebody better coach him up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Play some defense, <laughs> Nub Chuck. Dia, get a hand in the face. Contest. <laughs> Watch right. out for flying deer on those alley oops. That's right. All right. all right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Adios. He is the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, giving his thoughts on game number five and uh, looking forward to game number six tomorrow. Again, got to wait the extra day. That's okay. We'll hype it up. When we come back on the other side, we are going to talk uh, more about NBA Finals. Bernie Fratto is going to join us next hour as well, so hang tight for that. Plenty to talk about here on this uh, Basketball Monday, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin Show. to plug. Here come the aces on the run. De-energizer. Looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance of three. Chance of three. Energizer. What a three from half court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go. And De-Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the aces the lead. The doctor is now in, 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 in. Hour number two. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank on this Monday. Recapping a very busy weekend. Not only here in Vegas, but everywhere. Basketball hoops. Game number six coming your way tomorrow night between the Bucks and the Suns. Will it be a closeout game? I don't think we ever got the answer from the seven-footer. Are the Suns cooked? Well, he said it was a Bucks game to lose. Yeah. But he never. But he didn't he got really. Vanilla. Yeah, two vanilla on us. Yeah. He, well, he, he also said earlier that you know you can't predict what's going to happen in All the right, game. Yeah. But then he said it's a. So yeah, he, he was sitting on the fence a little bit there. You know, very easily, I can make the argument that this game, this series, is going seven. But the other side of me says, wait a minute, these guys have lost three in a row, and it is so tough. The psyche of that team, if you're a player, if you're a coach, to say, you know, hey, we've got to suck this thing up. We've lost three in a row. We're going to play the most important game, you know, of our careers. 
in front of 18,000 screaming Milwaukee maniacs inside. Maybe, and, probably in franchise history. And, and, and 50,000 fans or whatever in the streets. And the entire, <laughs> not just the Deer District, but everywhere. All properly social distanced. Yeah, you're right. As uh, long as it's um, less than six inches at the social I see a whole bunch of masks uh, you know, in the Deer District. <laughs> but anyway, I don't think, and, and I go back to what we had talked about before with B.J. Armstrong. This is a young Phoenix Suns team, and it is showing. It is showing. And Chris Paul, he has a horrendous record. And again, I don't want to put all this. I really don't like these type of stats, but I heard this stat, so I'm going to throw it out there because he is the leader of this team. He's the point guard. Well, he's but, the veteran guy. But, yeah, he's uh, gone in, in four series where he, his teams, where he's been on, been the point guard of, have been – down, rather led two games to none, and gone to lose. How about that record on your resume? If this happens again for him, it'd be number five. Yeah, <laughs> which is proper in an Olympic year. Five <laughs> rings. In this case, five no rings. Yeah, right. <laughs> in having the Olympics every five years <laughs> this year. Anyway, ah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, uh, yeah. People want to talk about twenty twenty, twenty twenty one. So. I can make the argument both ways. I think it's very tough. Milwaukee, if they continue to do what the, they've done, they, they win the game. And again, Phoenix Plus, I, I have I have not to interrupt you, yeah. but I have a feeling Milwaukee's going all in on this one. They don't want to go back to Phoenix. No. Their, their whole crowd was chanting Bucks in six the, the last time they were in Milwaukee before they even played game five. They were 100% focused on winning game five and wrapping it up in Milwaukee. If they do lose tomorrow... That could be the jolt that that gets the sun back on their confidence and everything else, and the Bucks are going back. I'm not saying it's a game seven for Milwaukee because they'll still be a game seven, but they've kind of set it up that everything was set up after game four for winning in six. No, there's no doubt. I mean, they have to win this game, and the ultimate pressure is on the Milwaukee Bucks because to get this thing done home, this is their final home game of the year. They play better at home. Phoenix coming into this series, the best road team, you know, record-wise, especially in the playoffs, they're supposed to get the job done, but they couldn't get the job done in games three and four in Milwaukee. Milwaukee shoots the ball better from the free throw line, especially Giannis and Middleton at home than they do. So, yeah, if if Phoenix can break this three-game losing streak, advantage Phoenix, and they will be favored, just like the home team has been favored in every game thus far. But I want to paint both sides of the picture here. So Phoenix has no answer defensively for Giannis. Has no answer whatsoever. And the Bucks seem to be deeper. They are deeper. Uh, especially when they can bring in guys like Bobby Portis and even P.J. Tucker uh, who are contributing. And these guys just play with tenacity, especially Bobby Portis. I mean, he, this guy is that glue. He's that glue off the bench that's going to bang. He's going to be intimidating takes no mess, no nonsense, and Bobby Portis can play. I mean, this guy was a tremendous score at the University of Arkansas. And he's bounced around the league a little bit, and he's never been happy because he's capable of going off for 25, 30 points at any given time. And he can shoot the three, and, we, and we've seen that as well too. But the difference maker, not only is Giannis, and we can talk about Chris Middleton, but it is Drew Holiday. I mean, the defense that that he's providing here. And when you go back to that play, we played the, the audio and the highlight last hour of him stripping the ball from Devin Booker. That was a man going against a boy. And Devin Booker's a great player, but 
he we have seen him make stupid decisions, fouling on breakaways, should have fouled out on two different occasions in game number four, and Drew Holiday is just taking it to him. And then when Drew Holiday is guarding Chris Paul, he is making Chris Paul into a turnover machine. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but just the lazy passes. Oh, absolutely. Paul, especially, and know, Chris Paul's even talked about it. Oh, you know, which, which like, and, and again, when your veteran guy like Chris Paul is doing that kind of stuff, you can't have that. Yeah. He can't turn the ball over. And it seems to me that Phoenix needs somebody else to step up. You know, you mentioned how many different guys maybe can, and some nights you do, some nights you don't, especially when you're, when you're one of those guys like a B.J. Armstrong who, you know, you don't get a ton of shots. If you get hot one game, you got to make the most out of it. Somebody else has to help out Booker and the other guys for, for Phoenix because they're not getting it done with just a little bit here and there. They need a contribution from maybe somebody that you don't expect it from. Where's Jay Crowder? I mean, this guy, he's been in the finals before. This guy's been in the league Quite some time, he's a phenomenal player. And when when Jay Crowder is rolling, the Suns are rolling. But I see Jay Crowder, I, he came in at, towards the end of the game. I'm going, where's he been? I mean, he's been on the bench for a majority of the second half. This made no sense. And I'm going, what's, what's, what's going on with Monty Williams there? So, yeah, they need Jay Crowder to step up. You're not going to get you know anybody behind De- DeAndre Ayton. We've seen Frank Kaminsky. We've seen that. For, that's not happening. Well, and, 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 and in Crowder's defense, if you're not in the game, it's hard to step up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it makes you no know. sense. I don't know. Uh, this guy should be on the floor for forty plus minutes a game. It should be Booker, Paul, Crowder, Aiton. Those are your guys, and you got to live and die with them. So, and and again, I went back and I brought up several times last week. Why is DeAndre Aiton, you know, playing only five minutes of the second half and game number three? Just. So I don't know. Do so you think maybe they're being outcoached? You think when well, all comes no down to it that it's the it's the coaching? Well, because it, we, again, most people don't talk about coaching yeah. and players and this, that, and the other stuff. And I don't. Th- sometimes I think coaches get too much blame when teams are bad, mm-hmm. but sometimes when a team's really good, they don't get enough credit. And again, a guy like Phil Jackson, yes, he had the thoroughbreds, he had dynamic talent all over. He also had to manage that talent and make them play together. Yes. So sometimes and manage just, minutes, too, yeah, and so, egos. Yeah, sometimes yeah. just having talent can almost be a negative for you because, like you said, everybody needs yeah. their minutes. To convince them all to, you're not a scorer anymore, you're a defensive specialist. You're a scorer, but you're the sixth man off the bench. I mean, we see it even with Bill Lambeer and you know the aces and that kind of stuff. When you have an abundance of talent, sometimes it's hard to make them all win. That's why as good as Doug Collins did in Chicago before Phil Jackson got there, they weren't winning championships. So that's why a guy like Dennis Rodman said, I'll only play for two people, you know, Jackson and obviously uh, Daly. Right. So, you know, I mean, there's something that you have to be able to get the most out of a lot of quirky and unusual talent as well. You've got to keep the superstars happy, but you've still got to keep the role players knowing their role and being willing to stick to it for the big picture. Perfect example, the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, look at them. And look at their coach, Steve Nash. He had no clue. He had no clue whatsoever. This was his first year uh, of coaching as a head coach. And there were a lot of people that said he wasn't going to have a clue going in because of that. Right. So there is a perfect example right there about coaches not knowing to. Now, here's the thing with these two coaches. They're not getting a whole bunch of credit because many people in Milwaukee and throughout the NBA felt that Budenholzer has been outcoached every year. He has underperformed. And they said if he doesn't win this year – 
he's going to be gone. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of thought there that they should have been in this position absolutely. two, three, four Not years ago. Not a dynamic ago. coach. And again, we talk about we can't be in those huddles, but you can just look and try to read in between the lines of what you can see, see the body language, you see when they're calling timeouts, what they're saying to their teams, what adjustments they're making. And for the most part, neither one of these coaches are making many adjustments. So you're asking me, do I think coaching has a lot to do with it with the Suns? Definitely. And Monty Williams got all kinds of credit. Well, it's easy to get credit when your team is rolling through the regular season and Dev, Devin Booker has kind of this breakout season the last two years. And then you got a guy like Chris Paul, and now all of a sudden, well, okay, you know, look at Paul. He stayed relatively healthy and he, he's leading this. You know, he's kind of the missing piece of the puzzle there. But now you've lost three in a row. And in every one of these games, you can make the, the argument that Phoenix should have won, especially when you have a 16 point lead. I don't care if it's the end of the first quarter. It's on your home floor. And that's the first time in this playoff that they've had a 10-point leader more in this playoff that they lost the game, I believe. Correct, yeah. I think, uh, I think they were 12-0 and or 13-0 and going into that. Right, right. And again, we talked before about Chris Paul, how well he was taking care of the basketball. And the assist-to-turnover ratio was phenomenal. It was the best that we've seen in, in a long time. But what has happened from game one on? It's, it's, he hasn't been good in games two, three, four, and even five. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, being careless with the basketball, so a lot of things here. Is is the is age thirty six? So Chris Paul is that catching up in a very you know tight series now, a physical series? He's feeling pressure because again, you look at body language. We've seen Devin Booker and Chris Paul arguing with refs. We've seen them even arguing with themselves. The Bucks are a more cohesive unit, but you know why they should be. Because they're a more veteran-laden team. And they have been deep into these playoffs you know, before. And Giannis, and we talked about it the other day, it's like Giannis has been around a long time. People don't realize how long this guy has been in the league. And, and it shows. So, yeah, I, I, I think you know, coaching has something to do with it. The lack of adjustments that Monty Williams has done, and even, even with Milwaukee. They've made lack of adjustments as well, too. Milwaukee's kind of gotten away with... Uh, a lot of flaws. This team still has a lot of flaws. They can't hit their free throws when they need to. They let teams go on these uncontested runs. I mean, Milwaukee should have put their foot on the throat of the Phoenix Suns with three and a half minutes to go. They had a 10-point lead. A 10-point lead. And, and then Chris and, Paul and hits three. lost the game. Yeah. yeah, Chris Paul set three to get it back, to get it down to seven. And next thing you know, here they come, here they come. And they had the ball down one in the final 30 seconds and had a chance to win, and that would have been embarrassing for Milwaukee. But they hung on because they go through these lapses. This team is flawed. They've been flawed for a long time. So nothing would surprise me what happens. I mean, so yeah, you can say Phoenix, they could be cooked. They've lost three in a row. I think it's really hard for them. But and Phoenix is going to get out to a lead. They've got to a lead in every game. I, it, it's, 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 it's tough to say here. Well, the other thing that's interesting to me is when we're talking about the coaching, and I pose the question to you, are they being outcoached? It kind of sounds like Milwaukee is out coaching them because they're making fewer mistakes. Neither coach is doing an exceptional job. Both teams are flawed, and they're, they don't maybe have the right players in this and that. And again, it's easy for us sitting here talking on a microphone, saying it, and maybe you ask him and you ask about Crowder. Maybe he's nursing an injury that we don't know about or something that, you know, I mean, there's always going to be a reason in the coach's mind why guys aren't there. But it seems like the out coaching is that one coach is making more mistakes than the other one. Both are making mistakes, but someone's got to win the damn game. I think credit to, credit to the Bucks again when you are getting the production they're getting 
out of multiple players, getting you know the forty plus games out of Giannis, and then you know Middleton and Drew Holiday. And again, it's it's not just Giannis. I mean, Giannis had twenty six in the one game, right? But the other guy stepped up. You know, and Middleton, you know, had more than him. Then yeah, forty last, or whatever. Yeah, and then in the last game, all three of those guys were balanced. I mean, they all were contributing. And then they get guys like PJ Tucker to come in and, and Bobby Portis to hit a, a a big three or a big jumper or to come up with a big block or a big rebound or a big defensive stop. So so to me, Milwaukee has the better roster. They have the better um, they have the better you know probably overall talent, the deeper talent, and they have the more experience. And now they're going to have that home crowd, which we've seen Milwaukee be phenomenal at home. It's just what is going to happen uh, if Milwaukee gets out to a lead. I think it's going to be hard for Phoenix to come back. But I, I expect Phoenix to have a lead, start out strong just like they have before, especially these games on the road, and uh, in, in what they do in the second half. That, that's going to be the key. And DeAndre Ayton, he's got to be big time. He's got to be what Giannis is for the Bucks. Not Devin Booker, not Chris Paul, but to have an inside presence because Giannis is doing whatever he wants inside. He's not getting it done from the outside. That's not Giannis's game. Giannis is slicing, dicing to the hole, and they're on the offensive glass. They're on the putbacks, the tip-ins, the alley-oops. Giannis is getting it done there. So when it comes to if you were wagering on this game, would you say Phoenix in the first half or maybe Phoenix in the first quarter? Yes. You can find the places that have quarters yeah. on it and then see how it goes I don't there. bet that way, but yeah. 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 But, yeah. I mean, that yeah. would actually be a smart way to do it. Yes. And, and maybe take Milwaukee in the game and, you yes. know, and that with, was a with tre- Phoenix early. That's a tr- that was a tremendous bet in the last game, too. And it's funny you bring that up because I was at the sports book on Saturday and I was looking at that, and I never play first quarters or first halves. And – it was two and a half was was the line there. Yeah, for that I think one and a half. It, uh, Phoenix like one and a half for the first quarter, and I said that that's easy money. Of course, I didn't bet it, but yeah, made made total sense. I mean, again, sixteen point lead. If you're watching that game and you bet Phoenix, you're thinking this is cruise control. Even when it got to halftime, eh, it's cruise control. Second half, no. I mean, I mean the Bucks turned around. Don't get me wrong. The second quarter, but then you figure, okay, Phoenix is going to make some adjustments, which they didn't. Come back out of halftime, didn't get the job done. So Now, you spent a lot of time in Milwaukee. I'm from Chicago. I used to go to Milwaukee quite a bit because I actually lived in a suburb about halfway between Milwaukee and Chicago. What do you think the excitement level in that is in Milwaukee right now? And what do you think the demand for tickets, not in the Deer District, but actually in the game is right now? It's got to be off the charts. I don't know if it's Packer... Super Bowl type of demand or something like that, but it's got to be off the charts. It's funny you you ask that because I still today have friends you know back there, and not just Milwaukee, Green Bay, but everywhere. I was talking to someone who lives in, in Superior, uh, which is quite a quite a trek, and you know they were asking me, "Hey, so is it kind of like uh, some of these other uh, sporting events or like concerts or that sort of thing where?" on the day of the game that the tickets will be cheaper. And I go, absolutely not. Oh my gosh, no. I go, absolutely not. Because they're thinking, maybe I can get a cheap ticket you know, to, to go to this game. I go, no, I, they are off the charts. And so I get, uh, there, there's a local ticket broker there that's, that does the Packers, Bucks, Brewers, all that stuff. So I'm still on their email chain. And so I see what the tickets are there. And it is ridiculous. It is off the charts. It is going to be one of the highest priced tickets ever in this game six because not only is it the game the series clincher, but it's the final game of the year. And this is their last opportunity. And it's a smaller it's a smaller arena for basketball. It's not like a big football stadium or well, right, something right, like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. It's you know, you got eighteen thousand in there. But it it it's 
if you can't get a ticket inside, people are very content to stand outside and to stand. They're standing on concrete for four and five hours because they're getting there early. I mean, some people are even standing there longer than that. But yeah, you're right. The ticket demand is insane. It's ridiculous. And uh, I, I feel very happy for those fans in Milwaukee because they are just like Packer fans, Brewer fans are that way too. I mean, University of Wisconsin, as we know, just – I mean, all of the, the, the – Oh, they're just, crazy. They just, transcend just, it. Just the singing at halftime yeah. of on Wisconsin and all that stuff. Oh, is, yeah. I mean, as much as I'm – again, there's nice people up there, and we would go up there to have a good time every once in a while. But it does kind of – it did kind of blow me away when I was at a Wisconsin football game. I'm like, what the heck is this? Well, And, and I've said it before about they feel every – Place to capacity, whether it's Wisconsin at eighty thousand, Lambeau Field now you know up to up to seventy five thousand. Well, now eighty thousand with the renovations and everything. Miller Park at forty thousand, and uh, the Pfizer Forum at eighteen thousand. I mean, they fill it. And even during the regular season, I was talking about even those doldrum years, they'd fight the winter months, and they would go up there and they would fill, fill the place. They love their bucks. So yeah, it's it's great and. I want to go what Bill had talked about, too, about how fans have embraced this Milwaukee Bucks team. And I'm talking about outside of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it's a great story because you've got Giannis. People like him. He's a good guy. He will address the media whether they win or they lose. He's a lovable guy. He doesn't use profanity. He's not a showboat. Uh, no controversy. No controversy. He's a good Christian guy. You, you see him, you know, saying his, you know, looking up the sky, saying prayers. Hey, he he does every interview with class that he does. He's a humble kid. It, he looks like a kid, so he comes across. Chris Middleton is one of these, you know, guys that's very humble as well too. They don't have. The jackasses, I'll say it. They don't have those type of attitudes. You know, they're not jawing with refs for the most part. You don't see that. And then you got the history factor, which I know that you and I both appreciate. You see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming back to these games and Oscar Robertson. They're coming back to these home games. And they'll be there, I'm sure, again tomorrow night like they were in games three and four. There is that that lineage and that link to 71-74 of the Milwaukee Bucks, and with those guys coming back, and again, no different than UNLV, people here still clinging to 1989 and 90, and they're clinging to those 70s, and now guess what? It's come full circle. It's back. So it's a great story. You can't say one negative thing, and we'll go to the Milwaukee social justice issues. Remember all of that stuff. And, And who was the team that took the stand right away and said, hey, we're not playing with this? And the Bucks, you know, not the most diverse community there in Milwaukee, but they have now turned that into a positive. There is nothing but feel-good story in Milwaukee in the state of Wisconsin, and that's why everybody's embraced this team. They're fun to watch, too. Let's talk about the game and how they play. Who doesn't like watching them score 130 points a game? I think it's a phenomenal big, story. But big Bill Cartwright, the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, and, and you know, I, I do want to throw out one other thing there because you mentioned Bill, and I, I was going to throw this in there too. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting because he's talking about how nobody in this series wants to play defense, and you can tell it's driving him crazy. Yet when all is said and done, that block by Giannis on Aiton still might be the play that everybody remembers from this final. And what they should remember is. The steal by Drew Holiday. Right. No, I agree. Right. But, but, I mean, as soon as that yep. happened, they were trying to put it up there. Is it as big as the LeBron block? Yep. Is it as big as this? I mean, they were already putting this. Where does this go in all yep. time? And it's like, well, 
It's not a game seven. It's not a, I mean, it was a great play, but it was like, but I just, I, I find it kind of ironic that in a series where a lot of basketball purists are looking at this going, nobody's playing any D whatsoever, that a defensive play might be the thing that we see over and over and over again on an endless loop. In the two plays, like I said, with the Drew right, Holiday yeah. defensive play. And that one, both of them, you're absolutely correct that those are So who the comes signatures. up with the big D in this game for him? Yeah, somebody. In order to win, I mean, there's, there, it's, it's going to happen. It, it has to be. And we have seen. Are you chowing down in some venison to celebrate their victory if they win it? No, but I'll go with the brat. I'll just go brat, okay? I'm not a big brat guy. I'm more of a dog guy than a brat yeah. guy. But I, I, I do enjoy a brat more so than, than venison. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I know so many people that love the venison. Now, just, now, do you do the brat with the cheese in it? Or do you put it in the beer? Do you, how do you make it? I, I, I don't, well, when I make it, um, I, I, just, I, I just grill it. So I'll let it sit in water for a while to get, to get all those juices, and then you got to put like the foil paper like underneath it. You got to kind of wrap it up. Some people soak it in beer there before they do. Tons of people do that. But yeah. you get, see, but me, I'm not a beer guy. I'm not whether I'm not a beer drinker. I don't like really beer on my food. So they kicked you out of Wisconsin. You yeah. didn't actually leave. They right, booted right. you. Yeah, and, and, and the cheese thing I can do with or without. Again, I was I was the Vienna dog guy. I was getting my Chicago dogs from you know across the border. Remember that? That's what I was doing, putting that on my grill when my friends would say put two brats on for me okay you fine you bring the brats whatever but you know yeah but yeah uh, you'll steam them first and then then you'll let them steam for about 15 minutes on the grill in that water and then you just lightly put them on the grill for about like five minutes and there's your brat tastes delicious all right and then you could doctor up however you want you want you'll put the cheese on it you know whatever you want just but no ketchup see people still put ketchup on things like brats and hot dogs and that's, that's irritating. I don't know. Oh. You know, I don't use any condiments, so. So, uh, answer your question? You want to take a realistic guess? Because I know, obviously, we think, you know, how much are, are tickets for tomorrow night's game in Milwaukee? Now, this, of course, is the secondary market because the season ticket holders have all the face value tickets. Um, $1,200. $1,200. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you are over the price. Really? For standing room only. Okay. $1,050 for standing room only. Okay, so I can get a seat for 1200 bucks. No, can't get a seat. You're standing. <laughs> you can't that, get a, you're, that's only 1050 Yeah, you're give standing. Me the, give me the extra 150 and I can, I, I'll can. i talk somebody in and sell me their ticket. You think so? Okay. Upper level? What do you want for upper level? Well, that's, what are you willing to pay for the upper level? Uh, $1,600. $1,600. You got a ticket. You can go tomorrow night for 1600 bucks. Courtside. Now, say what do you want to be. You, you want to be down in the first few rows. You want to be part of the celebration. You want to t- start taking your selfies. You want an up-close and personal shot of, of Giannis and Middleton and Holiday. Oscar Robertson. Yeah, yeah. Kareem, yeah. those guys. How, how much are you going to pay for Is that? Gucci Row there like a flannel shirt and a gun rack? <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're an NBA Hall of Famer, one of the 50 greatest of all right, time. okay. Courts- then, you, then you ride your Harley in that they yeah. gave you when you retired. So to take your selfie tomorrow night, what do you got to pay for a seat? For a seat really down low courtside. Yeah, first first four rows. 3500 Try again. No. I'm done with this game. <laughs> 17 grand. 17 grand. 17,000, my friend. Well, those are people coming up from Chicago. People in Wisconsin <laughs> don't have 17 grand. They don't have a real city. Well, I'll tell you who they has. They have Milwaukee. It's the place that Chicagoans you know, go when they want to hey, just kick back. You know who has that kind of money? The Wisconsin bookies. You know what I'm talking about with that. 
Because people like to bet there, my friend. The bookies. They got that kind of money. Yeah, probably do. Remember where our good friend, uh, Doc Sports, where they're founded? Wisconsin. Yeah, they had that ridiculous <laughs> winning streak in Big Ten football for like, what, 20-plus yeah. years? Our good friend Scott Spritzer. There he is. You know, he's from Doc Sports, right? There he is. Yep. Yeah, a couple of those guys might uh, be courtside tomorrow night. They love their Milwaukee Bucks. All right, when we come back, Bernie Fratto is going to join us. Uh, Bernie, longtime sports broadcaster, former colleague of ours. We will get a chance to, to talk with him. He's got a new book coming out. Um, yeah. Cheap no. seats. So yeah. that wouldn't fit for this game six. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll ask Bernie how much he's willing to pay for this as well, too. All right, we got uh, that and a whole lot more coming your way. T.C. Martin Show on a Manic Monday. Around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, talking a lot of hoop today. Game number six tomorrow night. We'll look forward to that. We'll preview that more tomorrow. B.J. Armstrong will join us, the former Chicago Bull and Detroit native. As I transition into that, uh, our very good friend who spent many a time in Detroit Rock City and parts of Michigan all over as well, too. Uh, Bernie Fratto, Fox Sports Radio, straight out of Vegas. Catch him on Saturday nights at 11 p.m. here. And he's got a new book out. Uh, Very happy to discuss this with him. A View from the Cheap Seats, a collection of sports stories. Bernie, what's going on, my man? Uh, T.C. Frank, good to be with you guys. By the way, not for nothing, I'm totally with you on that ketchup on the hot dog deal just the thought of that makes my teeth itch because ketchup is is not going to enhance the hot dog it's going to camouflage the taste of the hot dog i mean it's like drinking it's like drinking wine through a straw or eating pizza with a spoon you don't put ketchup on a hot dog thank you thank you sacrilegious is the term i always use bernie that's it mustard is made for the hot dog ketchup if you're a six-year-old maybe you get a pass but I don't these these people, especially in the Midwest, <laughs> Chicagoans, they don't even have. You go to Wrigley Field, you're not gonna see any ketchup packages. You're not gonna see the thing, you know, coming out of the squirter there uh, to the Vienna hot dog stand. It's not gonna happen. I don't know how it is in Michigan, but it's not happening in Chicago, my friend, or Milwaukee. No, same same deal. We're sister cities there, yeah. There you go. <laughs> What's going on, my man? How you been? Fantastic, guys. Uh, it's been uh, terrific. It's uh, I'm glad to see the sports world getting back to a state of normalcy. And uh, yeah, you guys brought up a lot of great points about Milwaukee. And I think uh, it'll be sort of heartwarming to see them get their first championships in 71. All right. Who are you picking, Bernie? Well, I actually think Milwaukee gets it done tomorrow night. Chris Paul's just simply out of gas. Uh, he's got nothing left in the tank. You know, Phoenix shot 55% uh, from the floor. 65% from behind the three-point arc and 90% from the free-throw line, and they still lost. So you're going home to the Fear to Deer Arena, and I just don't think – look, when the history books are written, Chris Paul will be in the Hall of Fame, but he's got warning track power, man. He gets to this stage every time, and we should know by now he's yeah. not going to finish the job. Drew Holiday has been riding him like a stick horse for three games. Give Coach Bud for, for making that adjustment, for it working, and uh, he wore Chris Paul out. 
You know, it's interesting, too, and you mentioned that Paul's out of gas. And, yes, I know he's a veteran. He's been around a, a lot of years, and he takes a beating here and there. But you would think that with the extra day off that they've done in so many of these games that that would maybe give him time to, you know, rejuvenate himself, get a little bit ready. But I agree with you. He does look like he's been tired. I just wonder how tired he would have looked if they actually played this series every other game. It might already be over. It might It might be. Uh, you know, the long and the short of it is defense wins. And Milwaukee's defense is very good. And uh, I think he's not only physically tired, he's mentally fatigued when you see some of the decisions he's made. The first four games uh, that uh, Drew Holiday's guarded him, he's, Paul's turned the ball over 17 times. He didn't turn the ball over that many times in the first three series in the entire series. So that tells you right there he's not himself. There he is. All right, Bernie Fratto joined us. Uh, Bernie, a view from the cheap seats. I was looking at the book cover, and I saw the picture of the seats there. So first glance, my eye said, hey, Dodger Stadium. You know, the the, the old yellow seats there kind of. Then I did a closer Closer look, and I go, wait a minute, these really are cheap seats. Where, where is that from? I mean, literally, it is the cheap seats, right? Well, my publisher didn't tell me, but I think maybe War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo. Is that a chance? Could be. There you go. Old the old one. Chicago Stadium, uh, Frank, maybe. No, uh, those are red, my the, friend. the uh, Blackhawks yeah. used to play. <laughs> no, no, th- th- those were red. I saw many of Black. <laughs> I-, I saw Blackhawk on bold double headers back in the day. Yeah. And uh, not, the most uncom- uh, not the most comfortable seats either. No, it also wasn't no. that warmer because the ice was always underneath it, whether it was basketball or hockey. Well, so. Bernie can relate to that because they're probably the same uh, the same seat manufacturers they had at Cobo Hall. The joke. Co- nicely done. Cobo Arena is still Cobo, there. Yeah. <laughs> still there. They've converted it into a conventional area. Now, right on Jefferson Boulevard. That's nicely done. There you go, man. All right, so how'd you come up with the, with the name, Bernie? You're a media guy. You've never sat in the cheap seats. So where does the name of the book come from here? It's a good, very good question. The view from the cheap seats was the name of my very first radio show when I signed on WTK in Ann Arbor, 10:50 a.m. flagship for Michigan in February of '96, and that show had a four-year run. And the name just popped into my mind. I don't know why. I'd been a credential member of the media for a couple of years before that. I explained it in the introduction of the book, which you can read on Amazon without even buying the book. And it just that name struck me in '96, and it caught on. And when I was coming up with a title for the book, uh, it, it, it hit me again. It's not even necessarily related to uh, the stories in the book themselves, because what I talk about is how my life changed in June of 94 when I got my first credential and I had access. So I had access to stories that was no longer in the cheap seat. So more a play on words than anything else and a brief homage to my very first radio show that I had back in 96. All right. And uh, I, I don't want to play spoil alert here, but I, I think it's uh... – uh, pretty cool. June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. We all remember where we were at that night when when people talk about it. Maybe the date they might not understand, but when you talk about what happened that night, and for you, it was monumental in in many ways because that was uh, you were going to your first game as a credential media member at Tiger Stadium, right? But uh, the, the Tigers exactly were not the, right. the Tigers were not the focal part of June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Let you take it from there. No, that's that's a great setup. So. I get my seat in the press box, and this was the first year in Tiger Stadium. And by the way, the Tigers were hosting the Blue Jays that night, but it was a sidelight. And you'd looked up, it was the first year in the press box at the old Tiger Stadium that installed media monitors so you could watch the game on TV. Only they weren't showing the game. They were showing a Bronco chase. We had no idea what was going on because there was no sound. And all of a sudden, uh, David Gascon, 
the commander-in-chief for media relations at the LAPD at the time, is when he delivered his famous line, O.J. Simpson is a fugitive from justice. We couldn't hear what he was saying. I, it wasn't until I got home about 1 in the morning I had to rewatch it. And, of course, that's been sort of an iconic video now. Here's the kicker. Fast forward to 2018 when I joined Fox Sports. We have a producer there by the name of David Gascon. David Gascon is the son of David Gascon, who did the narrative on the O.J. Chase June 17, 1994, when I got my very first credential on behalf of WTK in Ann Arbor. So it came full circle, and that is a story in and of itself. And I just thought, you know, in the introduction, if you like idiosyncratic stories that have a beginning, middle, and end, but usually have sort of a punchline or a twist, we all do. I mean, I've been a sucker. I'm a sucker for a great story. I think most of us are. And there's an old saying, give me a fact and I'll learn it, tell me the truth, and I'll believe it, but share a good story that lives in my heart the rest of my life. And as Tip O'Neill once said, if you have the added value of being true, that's even better. So the irony for me is the very first story involving me and the media had already been written that night, and I didn't even know it. So what was the vibe in the press box that night there? Was there, was everybody walking around saying, what the hell are we watching? Can somebody let us know? Can you put the game on? Or, I mean, what was it like if, if you were just seeing the video and that, and you're like, we don't know what we're watching. It looks like it's probably important. Well, we knew at that point that O.J. Simpson was a fugitive. What we didn't know was about the chase. That that part wouldn't be filled in there later. To answer your question, there might there might as well not even have been a game on the field. No one was paying attention to the game on the field. As a matter of fact, Dan Patrick on his show on June 17th, this most recent June 17th, which was the 27th anniversary, if you can believe it, talked about how he was covering the next Houston game and going back and forth with Bob Costas, same deal. They were transfixed. They were barely paying attention to the game on the floor. They didn't know what was happening. They knew what was happening, but they didn't have any details. And that's why everything was in sort of a state of suspended animation. So we were all zombies in the press box. It was my first night ever in a press box. I'm like, freak. I wasn't freaking out. I'm like, wow, what is this, man? What, what is going on here? So uh, that was sort of the mood, Frank, and that uh, disorientation. And I was, that's what I was going to bring up as well, too. It's like I can't even believe that, that you went to that game that night that you weren't watching the NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Knicks because, again, everyone who tuned in to watch that game, they didn't get a chance to see it. And they, we, we even went through the split screens where we had the Bronco chase uh, you know, and, and the game, and then quickly the Bronco chase took over the game in the NBA Finals. It absolutely did, and I was—I certainly found out about that later, and saw that you know all those videos later as well. But I was down at at Tiger Stadium, and I think it was a situation where we all knew what was happening, and OJ was supposed to turn himself in that morning, and he didn't, and so the media throng and the coverage was just overwhelming. And uh, you know, combine that with my very first night as a credential media member and the David Gascon angle. His son, 27 years later, that's sort of a story in and of itself, at least in terms for me. All right, Bernie, so who won the game? The Tigers win? Cecil Fielder go deep? What, what happened? Actually, I don't remember, but I, <laughs> uh, my good friend Sean Green, I, I, you know what? I'd be lying if I tried to. I, could, I suppose I should have looked it up, right? <laughs> no, I mean. Uh, I do remember this, though. Uh, Sean Green, my friend, I've been friends with the family, uh, and we coached him in County Mac back in 91. Uh, he was uh, starting in right field for the Blue Jays that night. It was his first time through Detroit. 
And so I got to hang out with him a little bit and, and reminisce. But I don't even remember that because it was all overshadowed by what happened. Right. Bernie Fratto joins us. Bernie's got a book out, A View from the Cheap Seats, a collection of sports stories. You talked about the stories, Bernie. Um, aside from that one, you know, that night that you're talking about, that you have the forward there, what's one of your favorite stories in the book? Yeah. And by the way, let me just say this. TC, if you remember, the the first night I, I met you, it was in 2016. We have to be sitting next to each other at the uh, Mountain West basketball tournament and uh, at, at the end right under one of the hoops. And all we did was trade stories about Green Bay and Detroit, and it was a lot of fun. We didn't say that, hey, remember when the Packers uh, beat the Lions 14-6 to and Barry Sanders rushed for three yards? We didn't talk. We talked about stories. And, Frank, how many times did I hang out in the doorway of your office? We're talking about old hockey stories. And the reason I bring that up is, I certainly agree that game results and box scores are important, but it's always the backstory that gives sports depth and texture, and you feel stories because they stick with you, endorphins are released in your brain. So to answer your question directly, I can't honestly say I have a favorite story in book because that'd be like picking out my favorite noodle in a plate of spaghetti, but I'll give you a couple of examples. And, and I have you know very short stories, medium, and some are a little bit longer. But you can read the entire book in two hours or less. So, for instance, famous people have lives, too. Don Shula. Of course, you guys know who Don Shula is. Well, one summer, he and his family, his wife and five kids, were vacationing in the middle of Maine. And they decided to take in a matinee movie one afternoon. And so they head to the movie theater. And as they enter the theater, they look down in the front row. There's only three people in, 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 inside the entire theater. Well, the minute Shula and his clan enter the theater, the three people in the front row stand up and turn around and start clapping and cheering. Shula's wife, Dorothy, looks at him and says, well, look at that, Don. You're famous no matter where you go. Everybody loves you. These folks must be Dolphins fans. The guy in the front row says, lady, we have no idea who the hell your husband is. All we know is this theater will not start the movie until there's at least 10 people in attendance. (laughs) Classic stuff. Classic stuff. Bernie, uh... We got uh, breaking news here for you. So just so you know, to go ahead and put a, a cap on the story here for your forward, okay? Tigers won 6-5 to five that night, and uh, Cecil Fielder was actually 0-4. And Travis Fryman what, what was leading Sean up 0-5. What did Sean Green do? Uh, Sean Green didn't get in the game. Didn't get in the game that night. See, I don't even remember that. Yeah, wasn't it? We actually had lunch that day. I can tell you what he had for lunch. He had for fettuccine Alfredo, but I don't remember what happened in the game because once the OJ yeah. thing. Yeah, no, yeah, you saw you were you were at a great game. I mean, six five Tigers win at Tiger Stadium. Did he wash down his lunch with an orange juice? <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting? I'm glad you brought that up, TC, because it, one of the stories I have in the book is how things can get overshadowed. Now, I know both you guys know this. You're sports guys. Well, Joe Namath and the New York Jets in Super Bowl three when they upset the Colts 16-7, to that really changed the scope of the NFL. And uh, I've even got a story in the book about how you can really trace the lineage of the Super Bowl to Al Davis. But the following year, everybody forgets, the Kansas City Chiefs had a hell of a team. And they beat the Minnesota Vikings 23-6. to They beat a very good Minnesota team. And that was actually Kansas City's second Super Bowl. They went to the first Super Bowl, lost to Green Bay. But that team that Hank Stram had was was very good. They had a tight end by the name of Fred Arbanis. 
Fred had gone to Michigan State, Fred was uh, had the distinction of being the only player in the National Football League that was actually blind in one eye. And so one particular game during the regular season, Arbanis caught a pass over the middle and got flattened and knocked out. And the referee for the game, a guy by the name of Burl Toller, came over with smelling salts. And when Fred Arbanis came to and, and rose to his feet, Toller looked at him and says, Fred, what would you ever do if you lost a sight in your good eye? And in the heat of the action, in the middle of the field, Arbanis looked at him in deadpan and said, that's easy, Burl, I'll become a referee. And what's funny about that story is Burl Toller, an African-American ref, went on to become the first African-American ref to ever uh, be part of a Super Bowl officiating team. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. And, and who was the first official blind referee that we had in the NFL? <laughs> I think there's been many, Frank. I can't name them all. <laughs> well, Bernie, you're you're a Tiger guy. You're a Lion guy. You're a Detroit guy. He's uh, a Red Wing guy. He's a Red Wing sure. guy, too. He's, he's Detroit through and through. Oh, yeah. So, uh when I heard the story today, I said, Let, let's talk to Bernie and get his take on this because there's, there's been a, a lot of passionate uh, Lions talk with this guy over the years. Matthew Stafford going to the Rams. Uh, we know that. Well, uh, Jimmy Ward, who uh, defensive back for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, had a little quote earlier today uh, when, they, when he was asked about uh, Matt Stafford. He says, here's a quote. He's the same quarterback who was on the Detroit Lions, and they still didn't go to the playoffs. And they had Megatron, Calvin Johnson. What was the problem over there in Detroit? Are you going to blame the city? What was the problem? Was it the money? If the city didn't have enough money to bring players over there, why even have an NFL team? That's a big question mark. So, Bernie, take it from there when you hear that from uh, (laughs) Jimmy Ward bashing on Matt Stafford. Jimmy Ward just became my new BFF for life <laughs> because I, I, I am so tired of hearing how Matt Stafford is going to be the savior of, of the Rams. Let, let's, let's put this in perspective. Matt Stafford, against teams who finished above 500 in his career, he's 10-65. and 65. He's 0-3 in the playoffs and 0-7 in games that had playoff implications. Now, I don't dislike Matt Stafford. I respect Matt Stafford. He plays hard. He's a leader. He's he's a gamer. He does everything but win. And this and I will tell you that this ongoing narrative that he had never had anything to work with is bullvine scatology. It's crap. The, 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 I will, the poster child game for me was in January of 2015. The 2014 season, the Lions were 12-4. and four. They played Dallas, and all the Lions fans want to complain about them. Is the picked up uh, the picked up flag on 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 uh, I, I forget who the Lions' receiver was. The long and the short of it is this: the Lions led that game with eight minutes to go. Tony Romo leads the Cowboys down the field and scores. So it's twenty three twenty. The Lions get the ball back with three minutes and all their timeouts. What does Stafford do? The first play turns it over, but. One of the Dallas defensive ends tries to go Leon Lett and return it for a touchdown and fumbles the ball back. The Lions get the ball back. Four plays later, Stafford turns the ball over again. He had two bites at the apple in the fourth quarter. That encapsulates Matt Stafford. When he gets desperate, you're going to see him roll to his right, roll to his right, roll to his right, try to keep a play alive. He'll throw a floater, he'll throw a helicopter across his body into a sea of hands, and there'll be an interception. He'll drop back, he'll get blitzed, he won't secure the ball in the pocket, someone will slap it out of his hands. He'll try to sneak the ball over for the goal line, he won't secure the ball, he'll fumble. He is not a closer, and they've had teams in Detroit that were good enough 
they made the playoffs three times, never came close to winning a game. Jimmy Ward is exactly correct. The irony is Jared Goff actually has three playoff wins and went to a Super Bowl and had a pretty gritty, gutty playoff win in Seattle this past January, but somewhere along the line he uh, fell into Sean McVay's doghouse. I'll apologize if I'm wrong, but I don't think Matt Stafford's getting them to the Super Bowl. Not at all. I saw enough in Detroit. Yet, if people hadn't been to games in Ford Field to see what Stafford does when it really matters most, forget about all, the, forget about all these great yards at the end of the game when he has these fourth-quarter comebacks against 3-13 and 13 teams. He is a guy who's got a lot of stats and he plays hard, but he's never going to be a quarterback you win because of. I'm not even sure if he's a guy you win with. He's going to have his chance in L.A. He can prove me wrong. We'll see it. So to cross sports and make an analogy about Stafford, would you say he's kind of like that that boxer or something that if you can beat him, maybe you're a legitimate contender, and if you can't, uh, then maybe you're not as good as you thought. Maybe you think of a different profession because it kind of sounds like you're saying that Stafford is that guy who he's good, but he's not that good and not worth the giant contract and that he's kind of like a stepping stone that other quarterbacks and that measure themselves against. Well, I think that's a fair analogy, Frank. I think his record speaks for itself. And even Peter King said a couple of months ago, uh, enough about the Stafford stuff. Could, could he not once, once in 12 years, put the team on his back? No. You'll see. when he get, And by the way, he struggled mightily against the NFC West. San Francisco ate his lunch. Arizona ate his lunch. So did Seattle. So did, so did the Rams. He's never had any kind of success against that division. And so it's a situation, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give a hockey analogy. I think one year Jimmy Carson scored 50 goals, and I think 48 of them when they're up like 7 nothing. <laughs> never scored a significant goal the entire year, but he ended up with 50. Well, uh, look at it, and you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's got better coaching, he's got uh, better defense on the other side of the ball for him, and, and he's got plenty of weapons. So to be determined, uh, to be determined. All right, Bernie Fratto, check out his book. And, of course, check out his show straight out of Vegas Saturday nights at 11 o'clock here on Fox Sports Radio. A view from the cheap seats, collection of sports stories. And I know Bernie loves his stories. He also loves Chinese proverbs and, and famous quotes. Uh, you, you got one of those you want to send us out on? Well, I appreciate the way you guys show the sports world so much respect. So I'll quote Maya Angelou. Uh, no one remembers what you said. No one remembers what you did. They'll always remember how you made them feel. And I think you guys do a fine job with, with your show and 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 in, uh, with the Las Vegas Aces and the whole deal. And uh, you show a lot of respect to the sports world and bringing you know bring your commentary to people who uh, you take them places they might not go. And then on, th- on that note, guys, I think I'm going to go have a hot dog without ketchup. Yes, yes. Hey, hey real quick, where can you get the book at, Bernie? Uh, it's an ebook right now. We may convert it to, but you can go on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the major stores. Uh, you can go to my publisher, Book Baby. But I think the simplest way to get it is just go to Amazon.com. It comes right up, and uh, it's it's pretty easy to buy. That's how people do things these days, I guess. So, mm-hmm. um, but any of the any of the major online booksellers, including Barnes and Noble and Amazon Kindle. There you go, right there. And uh, you know he'll he'll uh, give you an autograph too. Meet him over at Big B's Texas Barbecue because not only does he like a hot Love dog, it. he loves Big B's as well too. I was just I was just there last Saturday, TC. I was there last night. I was. I was there last night. Yep. There I, you go. Missed you, I missed you by one day. Ah. All right, brother. Hey, uh, keep, keep up the good work uh, with uh, the radio show and everything else, man. And uh, we know we'll be talking to you a lot during football season here. Well, great. Uh, good to talk to you guys. And uh, keep up the great work yourselves. Again, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, you, brother. Good luck on the book.
You got it, buddy. Thanks. All right, Bertie Fratto, uh, just an all-around great guy and a great broadcaster as well, too. All right, I want to thank Bernie, Bill Cartwright for joining us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, check out all the past interviews. It's all there at tcmartinshow.com. Join us tomorrow, Terrible Tuesday edition at 2.